Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. Uh, I know I'm going to have to turn Wade's microphone way higher than ours. Yeah, like my coworker is constantly being like, Wade, if you're not awake, you have to speak up because your voice has like way too much bass in it. <laughs> I fall in love just a little, oh, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, oh, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non-monogamy, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Hey everyone, welcome to Remodeled the Podcast. I am your polyamorous mama, Jessica Levity Daylover, 36 weeks pregnant, almost getting closer. And with me in Dream Life Studio here in Reno, Nevada, in the basement of our house, is the man who laughs while reading the dictionary casually for fun. It's Mr. Daylover. Also 36 weeks pregnant <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> I just find it hilarious when something is perfectly worded. You're talking about why you, this is why you laugh at the dictionary? Yeah, totally. When something is worded absolutely in the correct way that I couldn't have thought of, I think it's just brilliant and it cracks me up. That is the most Enneagram 5 thing I have ever <laughs> heard. But like, I will. I will hear him. Let's be for real. You read the dictionary like someone reads a book. While you're on the toilet. And in other locales <laughs> as well, but yeah. That's true. No, I have seen you reading the dictionary on the couch, <laughs> and I'll hear you laughing, and I'll be like, what are you laughing at? And you'll be like, oh, this word. Yeah, or something like that. I probably can't dig up an example for you at the moment, but yes. No, consorts was one of the words that you were like, I'm laughing at the word consorts. <laughs> right. Yeah, the way a word looks, the way it's spelled, the way it rolls off the tongue. I think it's just utter hilarity. Oh, God. Oh, you're so cute. I know. And I know all, all your bitches are listening to this right now, swooning, going, this is why we like him. I know. Cute's my brand. I can't undo it. And with us in the studio, six feet away, one of the greatest souls on this planet. I can't look at him right now because I know if I look at him, he will get bashful. But he's one of my favorite human beings I've ever known in my life. I concur with this. It's Mr. Wade Gainer. Hello, Wade. Oh, man. I'm super glad that I am black because... Um... <laughs> <laughs> you can't see me blush. <laughs> Hello. It's an honor to have you here. I'm super stoked. We've been talking about it for the last two days, how excited we are to have you. I love your brain. I love your heart. I love your soul. I love everything you are. And so I cannot wait to just capture the spirit of Wade Gaynor in this podcast. And you just binged all of the episodes. I did. And what are your thoughts? Because you're a podcast man. We send each other podcasts all the time. Yes. So I didn't. you didn't know, because you're not on social media, which I admire about you. You didn't know we had launched this podcast, and then I told you about it, and you said, I had just made your whole day, which made my day. Because if you guys don't know, Wade and I are in love. We're still figuring out what that looks like. Can you yes. guys figure that out, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, waiting over here. We're making a baby in a different way right now. Yes. We'll talk about that later in the podcast. So you binged almost all of the episodes in a matter of a week. What are your thoughts? So I made notes. For uh, me coming in tonight. Oh my god, mm. this is why I list. love you. And uh, one of the last notes was a starfish mushroom story, which is really confusing because I thought that was a note for me. Like, <laughs> I have to tell them about my starfish mushroom story. No, that's not mine. That was my favorite story from y'all. I was just like, man, Joe coming into a place where someone is on mushrooms and just being like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's just like, all right, that's, that's tight. <laughs> well, when it's your crush, you're like, I can do this. <laughs> Well, and Joe is the guy who can slip right in. I feel like you could too. Totally. I'm yeah. having a memory of walking up to you on mushrooms. Me I think as well. Wearing a tutu at a music festival <laughs> or something like that. And like, I couldn't even tell you were tripping balls. You were just Wade. Yes. Mushrooms has actually been a litmus test of mine with um, potential partners. It's interesting. My, my, my life partner now, Rachel, her and I went out uh, drinking and we started the night off with mushrooms and it was the most glorious, like, 
night into morning. That is so romantic. Wow, starting the night off with mushrooms. I yes. Like your style. Yes. Yeah. Me and mushrooms have a very intimate relationship. And so then it is perfect that Joe and Mai's love story starts with mushrooms. Precisely. It's an intimate space between folks. Yes. Yeah. And I can't trip with just anyone either. No, you can't just do that with anybody. (laughs) It's the worst. Yeah. No, God. When you're like, I'm in the wrong company, in the wrong environment. Get me out of here. You can't turn the mushrooms off. So got to change everything else. Yep. So just to update y'all, because I haven't updated Mr. Daylover yet. So we're at over 3,800 downloads of our podcast, seven episodes deep, and an estimated audience size of 435, and that grows every day. That is so freaking awesome. I'm one of those. You are one of those. Yes. So we are in the studio with Wade. I've been waiting for this day. I had you in mind when we launched this podcast to be one of our guests. And the thing that I love about you, besides your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your character is just how interesting you are. Just like episode seven, Joe's long distance partner, Lore, just an amazing, interesting person. Same thing with you. So I asked Wade um, to list his identity for me. So Wade is a 31 year old black polyamorous pansexual cisgendered male with narcolepsy who's been sober for four and a half years. Yes. Well, congratulations on the sober thing. First of all, you know, I love sober people. So attractive. It's so hot. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Here we are talking about mushrooms and I'm like, I love sober people, but I really love just the recovery process. I particularly don't like alcohol. And so watching people, especially young people who have walked the path of recovery mm-hmm. and speak about it so eloquently as you it's a really big deal how do you feel i feel decent <laughs> that, that's honest honestly um, that's a bullshit question to ask a year into a pandemic anyway i mean like how do i feel with being me and my sobriety i feel great sometimes other times not so great yeah. but in general actually two no a year and a half before i stopped drinking i was writing in a journal every day and when i look back i can see like the months leading up to where i was like oh not really having fun drinking right now but oh well (laughs) and then just going on and when i look back at it now i'm just like oh past wade you were so close but it wasn't time yet Mm. and like i I always feel like i got lucky in the sense of for a lot of people I always feel like they have to hit like a something bad has to happen. But then I also learned later that rock bottom is where you decide to stop digging yourself in a hole. Mm. And I didn't like end up getting a DUI or getting a car accident because I was definitely headed in that direction. Wow. And, you know, in thinking of polyam and my sobriety, it actually has a like convergence point. But we can bring that up later in hour. No, let, let's go there now. So tell me how your sobriety ties in with your polyamory. I mean, God, that sounds beautiful. And I don't even know what you're talking about yet. So I'm like listening to all the episodes, right? And I'm like, huh, how does my story polyam start? I blame it on my mom um, because when I was younger, she always used to tell my sister and I that friends can kiss. And I took that like way literally. (laughs) What a cool mom. Yeah. And like, it was like something that was repeated probably like three times, but it like nailed itself in my head to where that was just like my really strong belief. The first time I tried polyam with a partner, it was more so um, her guidelines for me were, it was like, um, you can sleep with other people so that way it doesn't come off as cheating from her to me. And I didn't really experiment or explore that at all. And the second partner tried polyam with, um, it was much more uh, like forthcoming and thoughtful and mindful. But, you know, there wasn't really times where we didn't really click or mesh really well in the ways that I feel like I have to in a like main partner. Mm. And so it brings us to Rachel, who is my life partner. And we started dating six months before I quit drinking. And so let's say that December, that January, uh, she like went out with some friends and then ended up sleeping with one of her, one of her friends. And we had talked about it in our courting. It was like six months courting. We had talked about 
um, the idea of an open relationship. We hadn't necessarily like nailed things down. The day after I'm sitting at work and she messaged me, messages me on Facebook. She's like, Hey, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, what's up? And she tells me, and I'm like, well, what are you sorry for specifically? And like, we talked it out. I was like a little bit frustrated because we had never really nailed down the details or really talked about anything. And then fast forward to that June she was up in, she was out of town. So I was out uh, for my birthday celebrating, raging out, doing my uh, classic tequila and margarita mix camelback. <laughs> oh my um, God. <clears throat> yeah. That was a fun night. Minus, there was a girl I went to high school with, hadn't seen her in like five years. And I saw her and her husband out. And we ended up going back to my place and hooking up, except in. Rachel and I's whole talking about being open and being polyam, I was the one that set off with the rules or the guidelines like, hey, if, you know, we can kiss people, that's fine. Don't need to like necessarily like get permission if we're going to do more, have sex with somebody. We definitely have to call and be like, hey, I'm about to do this thing. How do you feel about it? And I didn't. Mm. and um, she came back to town the next day, and I had told her, and obviously she was really upset, and that was like a a breaking point in my mind because I always likened myself as a very principled Mm -hmm. person. Yeah, definitely. And in that moment... I did something, I established a rule and broke it and I couldn't answer for it. And I didn't really know why. And I was like, well, maybe when I do these things that I can't answer for, oh yeah, maybe it's because I'm always drinking when these things happen. And that's when it all dawned on me that like, hey man, I can't do this anymore. And in our conversation that I had with Rachel, like I used to have a really hard time with like stonewalling. And that was the first time in my life I actually broke through my stonewalling because I could like feel and see our relationship just severing as I was just stonewalling. And I like fought that. And yeah, two weeks later I quit drinking. And you know, since then we had a long time where we decided that we weren't going to see other people and, and to give ourselves more time to build our relationship. I always think this uh, the story is kind of funny in the sense of I knew it was coming and she didn't. We had uh, two friends and they were, they are Polly M and I was out of town and she went out drinking with them. She's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go hang out with them. I'm like, okay. And she texts me like at 12. She's like, hey, I'm going to stay out with them a little bit longer. And I'm like, Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that was the last time I heard from her that oh, night. No. And uh, they had like hung out, ended up drinking quite a bit and then hooked up. And I was pretty upset by it. And because I was like, dude, why didn't you like give me a heads up? That was like our mutual agreed to like expectation. That's kind of fucked up. And um, that the resolution on that comes in the future. So that happens. We're all still friends and uh, Burning Man comes up and she goes out to Burning Man with them. And before she leaves, I'm like, hey, are you guys going to hook up? She's like, no, we're not going to hook up. We'll be fine. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to hook up, but I'm... I got a feeling. I'm not going to say anything yet. And she goes out to Burning Man with them and has a great weekend. And uh, she gets back and she's like, so I hooked up with them. And... And at this time, this is a few years ago where like really Burning Man had no way, like you can't call and be like, hey, I'm getting ready to hook up with someone. Can I have your consent? Precisely. Yeah. And what was nice about her going to Burning Man and me staying in town is I, knowing, knowing my friends and knowing Rachel, I was like, they're definitely going to hook up. And for me, my insecurities start when... I don't have information Okay. like not necessarily like a control freak, but I need to know everything. So like a control freak, but I don't have to control. I just need to know everything. I feel you on that. When I'm left in the dark, I go a little crazy. They just, my insecurities just run rampant. That's the generally the only time I ever really feel jealous is when I don't know what's going on. Did you figure out your Enneagram? Five. Five? I no, would... it was a three. Oh, Sorry, okay. it was a three. All right, all right, all right. Because right. uh, it sounded it sounded very much like my Enneagram type, which that's is right. a five. You told me that you were a three. I can tell you exactly why that's three. So if I am important enough to somebody, then they will tell me what's going on. If they don't tell me, then I'm not worth enough. Damn. Wow. Yeah. And that was part of the reason why I was it, um, looking forward to her going without me is because I knew I was putting myself in a situation where I wouldn't get information. Yeah. And after she came back, we we had talked for a while. And while she was gone, I had a good, like, mushroom trip by myself. And I got to thinking, 
And I'm like, why does Rachel always like, how does she not see these things coming? And then like, she gets in situations where like, they're drinking a little bit and the idea to like, let Wade know like, Hey dog, I'm going to have sex. Doesn't like pass her mind into my mind. I'm like, that's super inconsiderate because I think she's like worth a ton. And I would totally like let her know. Not thinking that like wasn't and isn't necessarily the way that Rachel processes things. Like she doesn't look over her shoulder super suspicious all the time like I do. So in situations where going to Burning Man, having fun with friends, having sex isn't like in her purview. And then when it comes up, it's kind of like a, hey, it's there. And my hurt from her not telling me was me thinking that she was like either making a conscientious choice to be like, oh, I'll just tell him later or just flat out forgetting me. Whereas in reality, it just wasn't something on her radar until it came up. It's, first of all, brilliantly told story. Secondly, I love you. Thirdly, that's a very evolved way to interpret that. It's almost like a difference of love languages where you're like, this person doesn't love me. And then you learn about love languages and you're just like, oh no, we speak different love languages. I kind of feel like that's a spin on what you're talking about where you're like, you know what, we're just kind of wired differently. And so you can intuitively see sex coming and interpret that sharing of information as valuing you, whereas she's just wired in a way that's like, oh, I'm not even thinking about it. That's probably not going to happen. So question for you, you mentioned you are very self-aware and you're like, well, this triggers me because it triggers my insecurities. So in episode seven, Laura talks about that they are not wired for jealousy. Mm. Like they're one of the, I call it 20% of polyamorous people who are just naturally compersive. They really are just, they have, they never get monogamy brain, even when they're in NRE or anything like that. I would have bet just on, because of how I think that I know you, Mm. that you were part of that 20%. Do you feel that you're more part of the 80% that has to constantly work through insecurities, monogamous programming, jealousy, no, I, yeah, I don't really, when I say don't really, I, I'm like, my brain's like, well, don't say always because that's impossible. I don't generally get jealous. You don't seem like, I. that's why I, I would have put you in the 20%. You don't seem like the jealous type. So you're more just like these situations with Rachel are bringing up insecurities about why she's not telling you. Correct. Have your guys' rules changed over time? Because yes. you, you've been together for four years five years five years yeah let's go with your number well you told me that you were sober for four and a half years and you dated for six months oh i love you so you're amazing (laughs) (laughs) rachel i got you girl so you've been with rachel for five years you've been polyamorous uh that whole time but you took breaks to Mm -hmm. establish foundation in your polyamorous journey with rachel specifically have your rules changed your boundaries changed do you still require consent before sex happens so I feel like I can't tell, I guess, a little bit more of that story, our relationship, without answering that question or okay. answering that question without our yeah, please story. Do. Anyways, so for a year, we lived with or we shared a place with her partner and her partner's partner. And her partner was a woman, which was a trip for the, all four of us because both of them have never had a relationship with another woman. And that was super fucking tight for me because like you know there's Rachel and I have a a relationship that's almost like cats we're not like up underneath each other like oftentimes like I get off at work at home like she'll be doing her nails I'll be playing my video games she's watching tv I'm like casually watching it and that is like intimacy to us like we'll be talking to each other playing games but like we don't have to be underneath each other so when she was dating her girlfriend, it was super tight because, you know, decorating, for instance, decorating. I do not like decorating. I love the fact that Rachel loves decorating and I get my joy there, but I do not care about it. And her partner super loved decorating. So I was just like, yeah, here's some money to go buy decorations. 
I'm just going to go play video games. And then I win, too. It was amazing. <laughs> the division of labor never gets old. Yes. I. That's not where I thought you were going with that story. And that's why I laughed so hard. But that's actually super fucking cute. And a total vignette snapshot of why polyamory is so wholesome and amazing. And I just saw your relationship flashing before my eyes. <laughs> and really cleanly and crisply. Yeah. And there is um, there's a couple times in there where the four of us hooked up. Yeah, and... see, this is what I was hoping <laughs> for selfishly. So the outcome of the, situ- the whole uh, arrangement and situation, unpleasant, but in the moments of it, it was pretty tight because I have, I have a bit of sexual trauma and I also am painfully self-aware and can easily go from like being ready to like, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just super easy for me to get in my head and to be around people who are patient and not uh, have no expectations makes myself and my penis very encouraged and confident. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. I want to talk about like you discovering your pansexuality and I know, well, I think (laughs) at least in the early 2000s and kind of in our millennial generation, it has been traditionally harder for men to identify even become aware to themselves that they are anything like straight or gay but bisexuality and pansexuality has traditionally been harder for men to understand because there's again no cultural script for it um so i if you have any awareness of that journey i would love to hear about it oh i do Okay, well, hold on. Okay, so this is perfect. So we're going to take a super quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to hear about Wade's pansexuality, which is there any better cliffhanger than that? Dun, dun, dun. I am waiting. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so we're back uh, with on Remodeled, the podcast, and we've got Wade Gaynor in the studio, and you are getting ready to tell us about your journey into understanding your pansexuality. Yes. Okay, tell me. So years ago, um, I knew this boyfriend and girlfriend. We were friends. We were like drinking buddies, like see each other, like, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. One night, many, many moons ago. I was out kind of by myself and then I saw them and they were out and they were always like kind of feelsy, not like in a necessarily like overtly flirty way. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Give me an age. Like what age are you? Oh, okay. I am 23. Okay. And they are mid to late twenties. Got it. And, uh, I meet them out and we start making like flirty jokes and the woman goes like hey you should come hang out with us at our house and the boyfriend's like yeah dude it'll be totally fun and i'm like all right let's totally do it and on the way there we start like kind of holding hands hugging and then like kind of kiss like um i was kissing the woman and the boyfriend's like hey wait me and you should kiss and i was like fuck it yeah let's do it and, and you ever kissed a man before no oh my god this is the best <laughs> but story you were ever. A fuck yeah about it yeah I, mean, I was like all right well i'm here Let's just do it. (laughs) I have a history of just kind of going for things and then later having to like explain it to myself why I just did that. (laughs) Like, especially in my like uh, early 20s, I'm going to stop saying like now, (laughs) especially in my early 20s. I just had this. uh, I saw the world as like a fork. Dang it. And on one path, I knew what was going to happen if I didn't do X thing. But on the other path, I didn't know what was going to happen. And that was exciting. Mm-hmm. So when he was like, hey, we should kiss. I was like, uh, yeah, let's do it. I can't stop saying like. You're never going to be able to just let it go. It's because I made the decree. Yeah. I cursed well, it's myself. It's just part of the vernacular of casual conversation <laughs> for millennials. Thank you. And so we go to their house and we hook up. And that was also my first threesome. Um, okay, so your first threesome was male, male, female. Yes. 
That's hot. And it was uh, their first threesome. <laughs> and it was pretty fun. <laughs> it was. A... You, it's such a toss up. It's such a toss up when it's everyone's first threesome. If yeah. it's going to be fun or not. I got lucky there. Yeah. And it sounded like everyone was equally into it always. Yes. Which is crucial. And what I met them out. We did like hung out until like seven in the morning and I had to be at work at nine. Oh boy. I did not have enough time to take a shower. And then I just like smelled. Of all, like, <laughs> of all of the juices. Yes. Yes. That's so hot. Oh my God. This is our sexiest episode for I sure. Get, to be honest, I get like this weird uh, pride. Yes, fuck yeah, tell me. When I like, when I have the smell of vagina on my face yeah. and I'm out in public, I'm just like, you smell that? Because <laughs> I smell that. Yeah. <laughs> See, we need more men like this in the world because women are so self-conscious about that shit. Oh. We need to know. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I'll just stop myself right there. Question, were you surprised at yourself that it was so easy and natural to be sexual with a man? Yes. So then I, I, I spent like two months being like, am I gay? <laughs> this is why it's so confusing for men to be anything but gay or straight because there's no script for like, oh, well, I had, I had a good time. I must be gay. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I might be gay, but I don't feel gay. <laughs> whatever that means and so i like went back and forth and i it wasn't like a whole bunch of inner tor- turmoil i was just like i don't really know this is really hard to figure out i don't care about figuring this out anymore whatever yes that was a huge breakthrough in my identity as well i went through mm. a really confusing time in college and was really scared that i was gay and was confused about being bisexual and then literally one day my brain had that exact thought of like i wonder if i stopped trying to figure it out and just lived my sexuality and then all of a sudden all of that weight just went away plus if i am gay this is freaking awesome because the benefits <laughs> are enormous yes yeah, and then from then on, like, sometimes I'd go out and I'd be like, uh, that dude's cute. I'm going to try to make out with him. Sweet, made out with him. I'm going to try to suck his penis. Sweet, sucked his penis. I'm going to have him suck my penis. Sweet, he sucked my penis. <laughs> you know, and then, like, from there, there's a few times where I'm like, you know what? You got a condom? I got a condom? Let's, like, you know, you put your dick in my booty. I put my dick in your booty. And then we'll just have a good time. And... I do not necessarily enjoy being a, being a bottom, but it has a certain aesthetic to it. <laughs> There's an art form. <laughs> but I love you so much. Everyone who's listening to this right now, please do you understand why I love this human so much? There's like a certain like man energy when it comes to like other dudes like dudes are like terrible kissers to me yes but what totally. is that what is that because they just want to get on with the show where the yeah is such an integral part of it i mean they're just missing out and the intensity is just like there i'm just like damn dude this is fucking hot bro like it's amazing i love this and i i love it's just a it's a big deal i think for anyone's sexuality but especially man especially a black man, to be able to experiment in queerness and not have inner turmoil. Yeah. What's funny is this is probably the most out of the closet I've ever been uh, in my discussing my experiences with dudes. (laughs) (laughs) I figured it would come up. I was like, well, you know, screw it. Let's do it. Are you cool with me keeping it? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think this is amazing. And I think pansexuality is the supreme sexuality. It, it should be everyone's goal to be pansexual. Yeah, that's it all question. I'm like, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just I can find an attractive quality in like anyone that I meet unless they have ugly personalities. And I'm just like, eh. well, it has the most infinite possibilities. Yeah. Like I still currently identify as bisexual, but I'm really pushing myself to explore the pansexual identity. I just don't have the experience of those infinite combinations of gender, body, sexuality. I'm also a little bit confused about whether or not I'm demisexual. I've been playing with that ever since Lore fucked me up in episode seven because I really need emotional, intellectual. I'm definitely a sapiosexual. I've identified as that before. So being attracted to someone's intellect and if there's a humorosexual, like if you're funny... (laughs) 
if you are funny, I will be in love with you. End of story. But demisexual lore described as having the switch where they don't even control whether or not it gets turned on. And sometimes it just, the connection turns it on. And I can't really have sex without that switch being turned on. Mm. So I would, but I would like that switch to be on and I would like to be pansexual. Just tossing that out there. Well, hearing you guys describe it, I'm like, sign me up. That sounds like the superior one. Um, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life, ladies and gentlemen. Stop. It just took Wade to come down into the studio. Yeah. Okay, so stop the podcast, everyone. We're going to be back in about 30 minutes. Probably an hour. <laughs> so, Wade, when I asked you, what did you want to talk about on this podcast? You wrote back, remind me to tell you about trying to process the fact that Rachel, your wife, may end up dating another black man someday. Hey, yeah, there's that. <laughs> so... It struck me a couple years ago. I was like, yo, Wade. Because she's white. Like, let's yes, talk about Ra- Rachel Yes, Rachel's white. Okay. I am black. It struck me a couple years ago, and I'm sitting there. I, I think it was the time where Rachel was mentioning that she saw a cute black dude, and I got it like a, 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 a pinch in my side. <laughs> and I was like, yo, I don't know if I'm okay with that. <laughs> It's like, it's like we're like polyamorous, but like I didn't say that you think you could date another black. Like this, it's, I'm so glad that I am black because if I was white and saying this, it would be sound weird, but (laughs) as a dude who is also black, if she was to go and like date another, a, a white dude, I'm like, all right, that's dope. He's kind of cute. But if she dates a black dude, then I'm like, is it because of my lazy eye? I'm black. I, <laughs> I thought I checked all the black boxes. <laughs> also, oh what's his penis God. like? I need to know. <laughs> okay, can we talk about this? Because I've been dying to talk about this. How much do men in polyamorous relationships or pe- penis-bodied AMABs um, assigned male at birth. Just learned that term. Did you know that? Term? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, so it's like the newest term. So AFAB and AMAB. Mm. Assigned male at birth, assigned female at birth. Um, What's AHAB? <laughs> Captain. I'm sorry. Um, so, how much do people with penises who are polyamorous think about the penis size of their partner's partners? Oh, I have to clarify on the whole Rachel having sex with a black dude and I'm wondering about his penis. I would just be wondering if it is small or not. I don't really care what size it is. Okay. Just okay. like a sick fascination. Like, is it is it true? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, you are the one who tossed that out there. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I'm like, uh, I don't. I, I, okay. So I have visualized. The idea of another dude's penis going into Rachel's vagina repeatedly and the image of her face enjoying it. And <laughs> this is so real. It there's always a, a, like a, a like a tinge of like <clears throat> like you feel it in like, like a third shock. Yeah, just like a sharp pain for like half a second. And then I'm like, wait, OK, yeah, that's fine. Thank you. That's what I was wondering about. I think it's tough because when you get jealous around other partners, there are things you can control and things you can't control. And this is something that you can do literally nothing about. And yeah. so for me, I think it's one of those insecure ticks that might pop up originally, but will pass eventually. I, I've been wanting to talk about it with two sexually secure men uh, or male-bodied people because I think it's something that penis-bodied people who are polycurious think about but are too afraid to ever say anything about. We had one friend one time say I could never be polyamorous because I would always obsess over the size of the other dude's dick. And it's like I wanted to honor that. I mean, the cultural expectation on penis size, probably worldwide, definitely in America, is really sad. It's really fucked up. And, you know, as a woman who deals with her own body insecurities, I know that that's the big one for the AMABs out there. So... I was curious how much that actually does cross your mind. And I wait, I think you described it perfectly. It's like you have the image, you feel the the twinge mm-hmm. in your in your gut of like, oh, and then if you stay with it long enough, it goes away and you can move into compersion of, you know what? Good for them. Yeah. Oh, well, just, you know, I want you to have great sex regardless. And so it just kind of falls into that category. That's you know, a ding. Th- yeah. So, I, yeah, I want you to have a great time. And so that just gets another thing added into that category so once the jealous feeling passes then you can move into compersion that way i mean for me it's breasts like 
and Joe always says, yeah, but you could change those. And it's like, yeah, I could. First of all, we broke. <laughs> like, And also, like, uh, you know, implants isn't something that I could do because I'm just so afraid of that implant sickness. And so it's sort of something that I'm always like, plus some breasts are just greater than others. And as a bisexual, I am both like, I want to touch those. And also, I wish those were mine. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I think... And I'm, I'm just putting this officially into the podcast because I think that there are a lot of people out there who have this somewhere in their mind of why they could never venture down the polyamorous road because they are too insecure about their bodies, whether that's their genitals or something else mm. or just even how they are as a lover. Like what if someone else is a better lover than you? And sometimes people are better lovers than you. Sometimes the chemistry between two people is just better than the one that you have. And you just, what's your advice on that? So first off, I will say, Jess, 95% of the time, I forget women even have breasts because I'm like a, a hips and butt guy and legs. So <laughs> otherwise, um, man, so I remember watching when Rachel and I and our roommates hooked up and watching uh, my roommate have sex with Rachel. And I'm like, dang, she's really getting into that. <laughs> oh. And it was that one, just like at once part of me was like, oh, I guess I could like try that sometime. But also at one hand, I was like, I guess I could try that too to do that. And on the other hand, it was like, dude, I could totally try that too. That would be super dope of us to try it. So it's like this one hand, it's like this envious, like lingering jealousy kind of thing, like insecurity. And the other hand, it's like, dude, that looks like she's having fun to it. Maybe we should try to do that with her because I didn't think of that. Again brilliant way to put that i remember the first time we ever had a threesome this like other person this other joe showed up and there was this split second i was like who the hell is that guy and then it's like well you know like circumstances chemistry and i'm sorry but there is a power and an energy to group sex that is just like it, you can't really describe it and it will bring out like a bit of jungle in you so and by that point we had been together for a really long time and so yeah this different side of you came out yeah absolutely and what was the original question you asked wade mm, how do you come to terms with like seeing your partner in a group sex setting like making a sound they've never made for you before or just like having a really fucking good time i think that the hotness of group sex is so much that it trumps that initial feeling mm. that tick that you kind of notice it and like just like way described like oh she's really into that the way her <laughs> pussy is getting licked right now that's awesome because <laughs> i'm really super turned on by it yeah. so ultimately i i think just the the attractiveness of that space is is way way more intense than any of those jealous ticks that are going to come along I have not yet had to deal with the situation to where Rachel's had sex with somebody who's like very obviously better at sex with Rachel in every aspect than, than I am. So I haven't had to deal with that yet. <laughs> and I, I feel like you. that's almost like a it's almost like a different conversation because it could be like, oh, man, like that dude's really good at eating her out. That dude's really good at putting his penis in her vagina. But like both of them, there's no one that's put together. So... <laughs> I got something on the dudes. <laughs> Feel a little bit okay. You're piecing together, like your moves. You know, I just um, <laughs> deal with those insecurities as they come. <laughs> and I think you know you're laying it out in such a simple way that it's comical, but it's actually kind of powerful what you're doing right now in this interview, because it, it's it's not normalizing. It's more than normalizing. Like you're taking these human emotions that get really trapped in ego and you're breaking it down in a way is like what you're really saying is, oh, his penis is going in her vagina in a way that's different than mine. And like, it sounds so silly to say it like that, but y'all, the semiology, say it with me. <laughs> we haven't said it in a couple episodes. The semiology of what Wade's doing in this interview right now is really fucking powerful. Yeah, and just to anyone out there who has these insecurities on the front end of being polyamory, whether they're about penis size or how good of a lover you are or any other other number of insecurities that could come up. I'm here to tell you the benefits greatly outweigh <laughs> the drawbacks. And even just for your own personal growth and transformation, it's an opportunity, an invitation, if you will, to really look at those insecurities and help work through them in a really awesome way. Yeah. Well said, babe. And I feel like I get stuck on stuff all the time. 
and really you just have to sit with it and realize this is my ego and I do not want my ego to run my life. And you just have to kind of be with it. And if it's something that you want to improve, like that person looks like they ate pussy better than me, well, maybe I need to watch some YouTube videos or hire a sex worker or... (laughs) I'm sending her praise right now. I'm like, yeah, that's, yep, yep. Yeah, okay. And you can hire like on Instagram now, I follow these fabulous black female sex coaches that will work with you on zoom and that's whether you want to just have a zoom chat with them or literally they you can point the camera at you with your partner and they will coach you and i know that is very triggering to a lot of people and it's kind of awkward and it's a very intimate space to bring a teacher into but it is one way to get better so i will say nina hartley has one of the all-time greatest how to eat pussy videos ever. Um, I'm gonna. So could could you lay that information out like, just for those of us taking notes? I will say I watched that video intently and did not touch myself in the meantime. I paid attention, <laughs> took notes, and the next time I went down on Rachel, she said what. And that was the greatest thing in my entire life. Not wow, not like oh my god, it was what? It's <laughs> like yes. Yeah, good for you. I think especially with men there's like this I have to be naturally good at it and I can't learn anything and if I learn something then that's my masculinity's taking a hit or something stupid like that. This sounds like the same school of dudes that are afraid of women using toys during sex. Foolishness. Bitch, yes. Same dudes that won't touch a girl on her period either. Whatever. I did not intend this episode to be so sexual. Lo and behold. (laughs) Hey, but before we wrap up, um, Wade, we should talk about this project we're working on. First of all, I want to say Wade's wearing my favorite shirt, which says I am my ancestor's greatest dream. Yes. Tell me why you wore that shirt. I saw this shirt years ago. Somebody was wearing it on Instagram. And instantly my brain was like, motherfucking yes, every day. Because in the sense of, you know, um, when my grandmother was younger, there was a beach in Florida that she couldn't go to because it was whites only. And she went back there 30 years later, ran out of the van and danced and laughed on that whites only part of the beach because, you know, shit changes. And every day that I live my life, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams every day. Fuck yeah. Damn boo. Especially all this talk. Of <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yes, Wade. Not sure that's, if that's our what baby. they intended, but. Right. Uh... Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. Can I, can I make, say, one more quick note about polyam experience for me as a whole? Yeah. So we do have, um, like, one remaining rule, and that's, well, not necessarily a rule, but I prefer to have, like, hang out or meet the person that she wants to have sex with. Like, hey, come over for dinner. It's just, like, loose stuff. But it's a lot of, like, talking and feeling really 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 vulnerable and stupid and confused but you just keep talking about it and that is how Rachel and I have like done even now to like even nowadays when we know we're about to get in an uncomfortable conversation we both know we're going to feel awkward afterwards but we both try to and we just like talk for two minutes pause go back over it talk for two minutes and pause and it makes everything feel so much more pure like when I know her heart and she knows my heart, it just makes everything easier. That's fucking beautiful right there, man. Thank you for sharing that. And we get a lot of fan mail and a lot of that fan mail is this podcast encouraged me to talk to my partner, have a conversation. It helped us break through this thing that we were having. And I think what you dropped right there just now is something that at least half of the people listening to this podcast needed to hear. So thank you for that. And thank you for being someone willing to have tough conversations. Hell yeah. I wanted to plug real quick. You and I are working on birthing a baby together. Alchemist Movement existed as a spiritual entertainment company since 2014. Uh, Last year in 2020, we dismantled and we rebuilt with you at the helm. And now it's a very slow process, but that's good because um, white supremacy is fast. Capitalism is fast. And we're like, fuck that. We're going to take it slow. And we're going the best that we can in a pandemic. Um, and so talk about kind of your your dreams for what we might do with this new alchemist movement. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Okay. Oh, boy. 
So side note, what is funny is the last time I was here doing an interview with you, Jess, mm -hmm. was for Puzzle Pieces. Mm -hmm. And we were, it was on the um, heels of the 2016 election. And I did not know it then, but that was kind of the catalyst for me to be like, yo, dog, we got to do something about the world because it's kind of fucked. And with the Alchemist movement, really... I feel in my heart what we are trying to do is go by a more methodical approach towards not necessarily ending racism or ending systemic racism, but more so forging a path for the future because we're talking about systems, capitalism, white supremacy has been around for decades and generations upon generations. It's not something that's going to get done in 10 years or 20 years. It won't probably do be done in our lifetimes so instead of trying to win these small little battles we have to plan for the future we have to build a better foundation for the next generation to build upon and that continues and continues like much like the racism that my grandmother felt is not the same as the racism that my mother felt which is not the same as the racism that I felt because it takes time and it takes perseverance and it takes this continued effort sustained effort emphasis on sustained and that's our, our goal here oh man i am humbled every time i hear something like this the fact that bipoc folk just don't want to burn the fucking place down that <laughs> you care enough to want to pave that path toward the future is just so incredibly humbling and inspiring yeah well and i just think that you are so brilliant and i really see that the universe because we're still a spiritual organization at our core it's just not our mission anymore but spiritually i really see that you were put here to do this because it's a unique fingerprint to who you are mm. and you know where our mission right now is just is defined as as being about intersectional justice and so as we began to look at these systems of oppression and become more radicalized what we saw is that you really can't pick one thing to focus on we if we wanted to be a justice oriented organization for our community which is in northern nevada we were going to have to be intersectionally based because you can't have environmental justice without racial justice without mm. food justice without housing justice without birth justice without death justice and so on and so this is why it's taking so long to build <laughs> what we're building right now because we have to have a foundation so solid and so wide that we can approach each topic that comes our way um, with an understanding of all of the systems at play and actually we are building our board of directors right now and you do not have to be local to join and so if this is resonating with your soul right now and you're listening to this and you're a person of color especially queer person of color um, yeah. and you want to sit on this board of directors with us like Chris, myself, Joe the white folks we would like to not be on the board eventually we would like to step down and just offer our support administratively and with our talents to help build whatever the fuck y'all's vision is especially wade who is the leader of this organization reach out to us let us know um if you are interested in intersectional justice and being a part of what we're building here you can let us know but i love the way you think and i love the way you write and do you have any writing you're doing right now that people listening could read oh he's blushing whoops <laughs> yeah i do Unfortunately, sometimes it comes down like I'm playing a game of Tetris and the words are kind of scrambled, but then they start to assemble and I go, shit, I am currently writing a piece about what now, seeing as how, you know, Biden being elected, we have just enough of a quote unquote majority in the Senate to actually pass laws because we have majority in House of Representatives. And I feel like we're going to see a lot of people that go, okay, sweet, we did it. Our job's done. When really... It's just more, it's just as pressing as it was previously. And I don't want people to get complacent. Um, yes, the sky may not necessarily be falling for you, but the sky is certainly still falling. And that's what I'm curious yes. about. So as a black man, you know, how much trust and faith do you put in Democrats? I mean, I put my trust and faith in progressive minded people if that so happens to include like democrats then so be it i certainly know it does not include conservative folk so yeah my progress my my aim is forward and it has become more and more evident that complacency is the devil and trying to be nice about what we need to do is never going to work 
Bitch, yes, this is what I I'm talking like about. I feel like we've tried that, right? <laughs> we've tried being right. Nice. And so I'll just say real quick, it always kills me when people go like, you know, eight years ago, we're like, oh, yeah, we elected Obama, civil rights is done, there's no racism. And then we go to January 6th of this year and people are like, I don't understand how people could storm the Capitol. How did that happen? And I'm like, motherfucker, where have you been? And people are like, oh, I, I'm scared of my own country. And I'm like, damn, you must be white. <laughs> God, oh, that is yeah. so true i mean yeah yeah fucking privilege ass point of view that's what it is i know if you woke up to the fact that this country is embarrassment on january 6th you haven't been paying good morning <laughs> but also at the same time i'm glad that you woke up and i will embrace you with love and affection and part of my affection is giving you shit and that's love to me, baby. That is love to me. And uh, and I'll leave it at this. Biden's still an imperialist in this <laughs> imperialist project called America. Wow. This episode went on a fucking journey. Whoops. Um, I think that you should start blogging once a week on Alchemist Movement's blog, tossing that out there because y'all, Wade is a writer. And I love reading every single fucking thing that you write right now. You can um, find Alchemist Movement on Instagram and Facebook. And Wade is doing Wade's Black History Month. So every day in the month of February, you release an anecdote from your life. Some are hilarious. Some are sweet. Some are heavy. Um, it's my favorite holiday. <laughs> and uh, they're on our Alchemist Movement Facebook and Alchemist Movement Instagram. I've been posting them there as well. It is my gift to white folks. So that way they have more than Dr. King and Rosa Parks to celebrate. <laughs> oh my god i love you so much so you don't do the social media thing so we don't need to plug you there right the blog apparently because um i would tell everyone whenever jess tells me i should do something and then i don't it usually takes me a little bit of time and then like the universe is like dude you should you're gonna have to do that and i'm like oh shit yep yep no you're right she was right <laughs> right the whole time and so i just stopped running Oh, that's hot. That's part of our love story right there. All right, check out the blog at alchemistmovement.org in a couple weeks. We'll give them a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to say time. thank you for listening to this podcast. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Home Slice Productions. Um, we're also on Instagram at Remodeled Love. That is specifically our polyamory Instagram account. If you like what we're doing and you want to support our content, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash Home Slice Productions. We really need a new microphone just tossing that out there so and we also pay for our editing software so yeah your money is going to a good cause to keep us making content shout out as always to our executive producers home slice productions that's me and amy stashik moore also what up to our new patron on patreon tipper we love you all so much it is so much it is possible to redefine love you're listening to remodel fall in love just a little little bit every day with someone new i fall in love just a little oh a little bit every day with someone new